Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. go ahead and read from John chapter 12, and then I'm going to jump into Matthew 21. But if you could just have family time with me today, we'll do announcements at the end because next week is, um, how many of you are like, we're Team Resurrection Sunday? Yeah, Yeah, let's stir the pot a little bit. How many of you are like, who cares, Easter Resurrection, we're coming for the resurrected king? How many of you are just like, no, you know, I like to say Team Easter, I I just like to say Easter. Who cares? Come next Sunday. And um, it's all about not just his death burial, uh, but the evidence of his resurrection. Amen? Amen. So next Sunday is, as the world calls it, Easter, resurrection, and however you want to debate about and fight about. And, um, but it's all good in this family. Just come. And um, so we have a lot of announcements we want to make. We have people that we want to involve um, to maybe bring some things. So, so just stick around right after. And then I want to talk about why we're wearing these shirts. A group of us conquered some giants, some giant obstacles. And, um, and I could say we won. We won. Amen. We won yesterday. We did good. Some people in this church just wowed me. Like, I know for sure there's some people that, like, if, like, I'm ever threatened, like, there are some, like, I'm caught, like, boomy. <laughs> like, someone messes, like, I, I'm friends with boomy. Like, you don't want to mess with boomy. The way I saw some people, Lisette pushed, like, I, I listen, listen. If Lisette could push through what she pushed through, man, I, I, I can't even imagine what it is when it's warfare. And uh, so <clears throat> my wife, I think, wowed everyone. So I'm proud of her. But if you stick around, we'd like to show you some pictures maybe. Maybe next week we'll have some videos for you and uh, we'll make it fun. Amen. But what we just experienced here, I want to be sensitive to that because this is what church is. This is what church does. And um, we come together and we, we pray together. We, we lift up each other. And, I, and I, I'm glad that we were sensitive to um, what God wanted to do there, because if you noticed, many more answered that call and said, yes, pray for that area as well in my life. And um, I'm just believing alongside them that, that, that God is able. Amen? I want to read a lot of text today, and um, I, hope, um, I, I really hope that through the, pre- through the reading of the text, it preaches itself, and, and you just get blessed today. Um, because there's something that you really don't even have to say. The text really does say it all for it, all in itself. I hope you're encouraged by this. I'm going to jump into John 12. And I'm going to jump right after to Matthew 21. I'm going to talk about two different accounts of the same moment. And um, eventually, at the end, we're going to blend them together to get a better picture of it. Um, but today's message, if you have notes, if you take notes there, write this down. It's titled, Behold the Lamb of God. But you have to say it like that. That's how it's titled. It's not titled like, Behold the Lamb of God. It's Behold the Lamb of God. So that's today's message. Look at the person next to you and just tell them, Behold. The Lamb of God. Amen. Praise God. Let's go to John chapter 12. If you're there, can you please put your eyes there and your index finger there on verse 12 with me. Let's read verses 12 through 19. Why is this passage so important? It's important because it's what Mother Mercy said today. And um, our sister said that it's a triumphal Sunday and this is his triumphal entry. Um, into Jerusalem, and we're going to read both accounts in John and Matthew. We're going to start off in verse 12 of chapter 12 of John. Just read with me here, follow along. It says, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, that's a very important word there, feast, 
When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, that is why today is called Palm Sunday, and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he found the young donkey, he sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let me actually stop there for a moment. Because I actually wrote it down here. That is a, I thought I did. That is a prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice, O greatly, Old Testament prophecy, Messianic prophecy. O daughter of Zion, Zechariah 9.9, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So when it says this, then Jesus when he found the young donkey, sat on it as it was written, Behold your king, Zechariah 9.9 is being fulfilled. Sitting on a donkey's coat, his disciples, verse 16, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him, therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised from his dead bore witness. Verse 18, for this reason the people also met him. Because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. What is the, what is the number one indicator where someone is becoming pharisaical? The Bible teaches us. What is it? It's when a critiquing spirit falls upon them. When they critique every little thing, when every little thing has to be highlighted and critiqued. That's what the Pharisees' jobs was. They were Pharisees, and they're critiquing the Jesus. Be very careful that you never catch a critiquing spirit. Very dangerous place to be at. That which once ministered to you, you will find, you will find that it, you no longer can receive from that king anymore, from Jesus, because you critique him. Very careful. That's what's happening in this verse. Let's keep reading. We're going to go now to Matthew 21. Watch this, how amazing this is. In Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, uh, again, an awesome scripture written about the Lamb of God entering into Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy, and um, about to establish something beautiful for, for us to even walk and live in. <clears throat> we find ourselves in Matthew 21, verse 1. Here it is. A lot of it is going to sound similar because this is another eyewitness account um, uh, writing what he is witnessing. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Many of you remember this walk, when we, especially the first time we went to Israel, when we took this journey from the Mount of Olives all the way down. We, we, we took a lot of Jesus' walk um, on this triumphal entry when we went to Israel, from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Verse 2, saying to them, so then Jesus sent to his disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find the donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. So this one gives some detail that John doesn't. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, again, fulfilling um, Zechariah 9, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a coat, the fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, they laid their clothes on them, and they set him on them. 
And a very great multitude spread their own clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out. And again, here's the same song. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. I love that. All the city was moved. I hope that as he walked into this triumphal entry of a service today, I'm praying that things were moved. And saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus. He's the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee, from Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. If you notice in these passages, let me, let me break some things down because it's hard if you understand some of the history, some of the Jewish understanding in this stuff. Um, it's hard for you to really understand all of its context. But if you notice in this passage, there's crowds of people in both John and in Matthew's witness here. And we see that Jerusalem is extremely crowded with tourism, if you want to say that. One could say tourism, and it's, just, it's full of people, especially from Jewish people who lived outside of Jerusalem, who are making their way into Jerusalem. And if you've been to Jerusalem like some of us have, it's very small, and when you bring in thousands of people, it could get very tight quickly. So Jerusalem being small as it is, filling it, filled, filling it up with Jewish people ready to celebrate their feast. It was a feast. That's what was at hand. That's why it was so crowded. That's why there were so many people in Jerusalem. Does anyone know what feast was at hand? We're entering this feast. What is this feast called? It's the Passover feast. Man, that's beautiful, Passover. But before we get into this, you see... I read John and I read Matthew and I say, man, God's way of doing things, his timetable, his calendar, all his ways, I mean, it points to his perfection if you read scripture, man. It, it points to his sovereignty. The way he does things, it just, it points to God's, God's really in control. It points to his holiness which means that he is set apart from all other creation. And you see that, the evidence of it, in and out. God's way of doing things. And when we look at this feast, this feast specifically, it's talking about Passover. You should write that down in your notes, Passover. Passover is a lot about what we're going to talk about today. You can't talk about the triumphal entry. You can't even talk about the whole process, the cross, and all of that without mentioning Passover. Passover has to be mentioned if you're going to speak about Jesus' death, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. You have to because Jesus is a Jew himself. So as a Jew, he's going to Jerusalem to what? To celebrate Passover. But in celebrating Passover, he's going to bring forth the revelation that he's actually the Passover lamb to be celebrated over. He's fulfilling that which we recognize in the Old Testament. Hopefully you guys are going to learn something here today. And he's entering, and he's, he's, in, he's, um, yeah, he's um, welcoming Passover. He's entering into Jerusalem. And here we are today on this Palm Sunday, and we are entering, right, the same season of Passover. And Passover is and will continue to be celebrated and observed and be an observed feast to many individuals. It's still celebrated, it's still observed. Here we are, some thousands of years later, and we're still speaking of it. Especially for the Hebrew, for the Jewish people. Passover is something that they still enter into. 
God, if you, if you want to get into Passover, I'm going to give you some, some pointers of Passover today. But if you want to get deep into it and continue to study it even some more, he gives the instructions to it in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus 12, we see the Passover be established. And it's being observed for the first time in that passage in the Old Testament, Exodus 12. Now, what about Passover? Passover is the most celebrated Jewish holiday of the year. Passover is. It is a time, even maybe if you were practicing with some Jews, or if you were in Jerusalem during the time of Passover, you would hear people groaning and moaning in the background. In Jerusalem. And if you're walking down the streets during Passover, you're like, why are they moaning? Why are they groaning like if they're in pain? And it's part of the way they celebrate Passover. A true person that celebrates Passover correctly will moan and groan through certain parts of Passover. I think you'll understand why soon, right? See, they groan and they moan when they consider. And if you read Exodus 12, you'll see the teaching. They moan and they groan when they consider the requirements of their diet. In Exodus 12, God gives Moses and Aaron like a very strict diet. This is how you're supposed to eat during this time. You better not waver. It's got to be just like this. And he gives them, I mean, he, what is it called? He dots every I and crosses every T with them. So to the Jewish person, they recognize when they consider the requirements of their diet, they groan. Oh, Passover's here. They groan and they moan when they think of all the preparations. If you study Exodus 12, the Lord will tell them, and make sure you do this, and make sure for your neighbors. And if your neighbor doesn't have enough, then make sure you, um, uh, according to how many children. And the requirements, and you're like, oh, and you groan and moan when you think of the requirements. And another reason why you moan and groan, and we're going to get into this a little bit today, you moan and groan because, oh, here's the Jewish people, the Hebrew person, and they're going to celebrate Passover, and they're, oh, Passover's here. Oh, why? Because they remember how much they ate in Passover the year before. Have you ever eaten so much that you're like, oh, you feel so bad that you can't even like, well, you know what you do when you eat so much. So these people are groaning because of so many reasons, because of the requirements of their diets, because of the preparation for Passover, and because of a remembrance of everything they ate last year. we got to do it again. But most ironic is that the moaning and groaning, and please listen to this, is exactly what you're supposed to feel at this time of the year. You, before I get into that, you see... What are some other names for Passover? Some other names for Passovers are as such. It's the Festival of Unleavened Bread. If you ever studied that. The Festival of Unleavened Bread is another description, another name for Passover. Another one is the Festival of Spring. You have three names for Passover. Passover, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and the Festival of Spring. The Festival of Spring. Think about, you know that God uses seasons to preach his gospel? What's the season before spring? Come on. What's the, anyone like you struggle like me that you don't know the order of the seasons? <laughs> That's what's going on? Is that what's going on right now? <laughs> Crap. I'm trying to remember the calendar when I was in elementary. Okay. What's, what's the season before um, spring? Winter. What happens to the crops and to the trees in winter? What happens during the time of spring? 
When, when, when Jesus comes in as the Passover lamb, it is, it is an indication that from this point on, that which is dead is going to start living. And he's writing, this is, Passover was, was the feast of celebrating spring. Spring's here. What does that mean to the farmer? Our dead crops will come to fruition again. That which is dead becomes alive. I love that today we spoke life into death during the time of Passover, which is the festival of spring. Because what we did today was without any planning, without any method behind it, no phone calls behind anyone's back, but being sensitive to what God wants us to do, he says, do this, let me move, and I want to cause spring to happen in people's winter. And people who are in winter right now just encountered spring. I feel like um, uh, Mercy, as she was praying, I saw spring leap up inside of her. And I said, I'm not going to. She's like, pray for my other son. I'm like, I'm not praying for him. You pray for your other son. Why? Wow, I just saw spring inside mom. That, that's what Passover is. That's what, this whole, that's what this whole thing is as Jesus is entering. That's the Passover. So Passover, listen, don't get lost on me, is a celebration of spring, of, of what we will say of birth and rebirth. It's a journey from slavery to freedom. Passover, that's what it is. It's from slavery to freedom. Exodus 12 is the origin of Passover. From slavery to freedom. Slavery to freedom. And for the people during this time, it meant it was time to take responsibility. It was time to take responsibility for themselves, for their community, for the world around them. But strangely enough, none of this taking on responsibility gets done without groaning. Groaning was a part of taking on the responsibility of what Passover represented. Groaning was normal, and yet in certain circles it still is normal. I, I copied this from an article I read. It. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to quote it, and I'll tell you, end quote, when I'm done. Quote, here it is. However, to make any celebration of ritual truly meaningful, you must find a way to make it personal. Even Moses and later the rabbis recognized this when they instructed the Jewish people how to celebrate Passover. The key isn't only to tell the story of Exodus or even to compare your life to the story of Exodus, but to actually personalize, personalize the history meaning feel the feelings and experience the sensations of this journey. In this way, the Jewish people as individuals and as a people move forward. Everything a person does during Passover aids this process, end quote. So you could understand the Jewish mindset behind Passover. What they would do was, they would just be like, oh, son, sit by the campfire. I want to tell you a story of our great, great, great grandfathers. That's not what they would do. What they do is they, they involve themselves and in the feelings of it and the experience and the sensation of it. And they, and they relate to it as individuals and, and, and it becomes a teaching for them and their children. This is what our ancestors, do you feel it? And they're groaning and they're moaning in the middle of the story. And this is who we are. This is our origin. It's almost like, kind of like, I remember my conversation sometimes with my grandfather. Like, oh, porque hijo, tú no sabes cómo fue en Cuba. Cuando Fidel Castro entró y cuando me fue. And he talks about his liberation. And like you feel, if you're from that generation, you feel, right? Like what your grandparents used to tell you about Cuba and the struggle of Cuba and it becomes part of you like I carry that that's how the Jewish people are till today many of you how, how many of you went to Israel with us you see them still aiming at the western wall praying and you're like what are they doing we know the truth 
We know it, but, but they're still stuck in that. Man, it's powerful. It's seen in Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, we see that God is instructing. And listen, each Hebrew family, this is so important for the rest of this passage, for the rest of this message. Each Hebrew family was instructed to take a lamb. Everyone say a lamb. What's today's message titled? Yeah, just like that. Each Hebrew family was instructed to take a lamb. A lamb that was without blemish. What does that mean, without blemish? Anyone want to shoot at it? Clean, good, perfect. I like that. Clean, perfect. I like those. Pure is good. Without defect. Without blemish. Pure, clean, perfect, without any defects. The lamb also, in Exodus 12, not only were you to grab a lamb, a lamb without a blemish, with no defects, but now this lamb is to go through a certain process. Everyone say process. How many of you like the process? <laughs> I do, Pastor. I feel like I come out so good. No, it's painful. It's moaning. It's groaning. It hurts. <clears throat> so some of the process is that the lamb was to shed blood. The lamb was to shed blood. It's the process. Why is the lamb shedding blood? That's what God asked it to do. It needs to shed blood. I'm talking about Exodus 12. The lamb was to shed blood. Now listen to this. That blood, it wasn't just to be, it wasn't to be drank. It wasn't to be just spilled anywhere. You were to take the blood of the lamb, listen, and it was to be spread on the doorpost of their homes. If you study that scripture, you'll recognize that at night, hey, when you're all sleeping, an angel's going to come by, and whoever does not have, whoever's not covered by the blood, harm will come upon their family. What does that mean? We are covered by the blood. A lot of that stuff is to be fulfilled with Jesus, the New Testament. The lamb was to be um, spread over the doorpost of the home. The lamb's flesh also, here's part of the process. The lamb's flesh was to be fully eaten. It, specifically, God tells Moses, it's to be roasted in the fire and to be fully eaten. There was everything of the lamb was to be eaten. I like to eat at this restaurant over here and they give me the whole fried fish. My wife looks at the eyeballs, my, my wife looks at the head and she's like, Ugh. Listen, the lamb was supposed to be eaten. What I mean by eaten is they were supposed to eat its head. They were supposed to eat its legs. They were supposed to eat its entrails. None of the lamb in Exodus 12 was to remain. Are you getting something? None of it was to remain. And then with the lamb, they were to eat bread. Because only in the New Testament do we see that a lamb is also the bread of life. The bread of life. And they were to eat bread. And it wasn't just any kind of bread. The kind of bread that God instructed them to eat from was unleavened bread. That is why another name for Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why unleavened bread? That means that all the yeast is taken out of it. There is no yeast in the bread. There is meaning behind that, and we're going to get that as, eventually as we close. So through this process, on that night, God, so important, Exodus 12. Guys, we're in Exodus 12. God was going to free his people from Egyptian slavery. You guys know the story of Exodus? And being freed from Egyptian slavery, they would soon enter waters, enter waters, if you know the Exodus story, they enter waters to come out to then experience rebirth as a nation and as a people. When we water baptize people, we constantly go into Egypt going into Israel, fleeing Egypt, going into the waters and coming out of the waters, a form of baptism into new life. They're on their way to the land that God is promising them. 
when we come to Christ and we are baptized, we're showing that we're on the way to this promised land. We've reached, we're reaching this promised land. So they would enter these waters to become a nation, a rebirth again. There's that word. That's what Passover is. So listen, through birth, you've ever been in a room through birth? Have you ever given birth? Have you ever seen a show of a woman giving birth? See how painful it is? Through birth, there is groaning. I've got to see it firsthand twice. My gosh, that I feel bad for her. There is groaning through birth. Listen, listen. If I did not tell you what was going on and I put you on speakerphone and you heard her groaning, you would have thought someone was being murdered. But what you didn't know was that life was about to enter into the room. We automatically think that groaning and moaning means horrible and it means horrific and it means the end. It means bad. But what we forget is that through moaning and groaning, my God, my God might be doing and bringing something beautiful to life. Through birth, there is groaning. Through the, pa- through the process of the Passover lamb. Through that process of, 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 of birth, the process of the Passover lamb, which brings forth this liberation. Man, there is groaning. Think about the lamb of God. Think about that phrase, behold, the lamb of God. And think about from that phrase, when John the Baptist, I'm going to get to that verse in a second. When John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God, from the moment that he said, behold, the lamb of God, look at the rest of Jesus' life. And you tell me if there isn't. Yes, there is demons that are casted out, blind that are seen, leprosy that are being healed. But there is also this process of moaning and groaning from the point where John the Baptist points at him and says there he is the Lamb of God so through this process there's there's groaning and it's so important I'm going to repeat and you should write this down so important to know this that not all pain and all groaning comes from evil not all pain and all groaning comes from evil There is a pain, there is a groaning that is part of the process of birthing a new and greater life. Exodus 12 teaches us that. The way to Calvary teaches us that. The cross teaches us that. The resurrection cements it. Are you learning that? That's very important to understand. Many times we, and I put myself in the we, we feel pain and we feel groaning and we put the picture of Satan up and we say, it's his fault. Satan is causing the groaning. Satan is causing the moaning. And God is saying, no, I'm taking you through the process because you're going to experience a new and greater life. I'm taking you through winter so that you could fall in love with spring. Yeah? Let's remember John the Baptist's words. John 1, 29 through 30. I'll repeat it again. The next day, John's preaching in the wilderness. There are many people that are coming to John the Baptist. John is very popular, very famous, very known. So known that some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are coming out to meet with him to see what's up with him, see what kind of threat he is. And um, on that day, Jesus comes into the neighborhood. And in John 1, 29 and 30, it says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he whom I've said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
So what is John saying here? Watch how scripture, listen, watch how scripture defends itself. Watch how scripture does it on its own. What is, John, what is John saying here? See, when he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, for this is the one who I'm told you about, a man who is better than me, and one who has, has always been even before me. When he says that, every one of his listeners is Jewish. Every one of his listeners understands Old Testament texts. Every one of his listeners understands the prophecies of the major prophets. Okay? So when, when John the Baptist says, when John the Baptist is sitting with his disciples, and he stands up, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, everyone's ears went up, ping, and started looking at Jesus. Many of his disciples says, John, I love you, but I'm going to go with Jesus. <laughs> that one of his disciples went to go spy. You know how that is, whatever. And he comes back and says, John, some of your crew left, and his numbers are growing, and yours are shrinking. And he's like, good. He must, what? Increase so that I may. When he says, behold the Lamb of God, why does the crowd go to Jesus? They're, they know what that phrase means. It's not like when me and you say, behold the Lamb of God. Oh, yeah, John the Baptist said that. No, 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 no. They're like, oh, Zechariah. Oh, Isaiah. So this, was a, this was one of, the, one of the most powerful moments in the New Testament was the declaration from John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Because if you know anything of this, he's the herald that is blowing the trumpet, that is welcoming the Messiah to come in so that he could go and he could come in now. So when he says that, everyone leaps up, everyone is freaking out, and everyone understands the Jewish writings, the, the writings of old, and everyone understands the songs. If you know this, Jewish people have songs, and they sing songs a lot, and their songs are of the Messianic prophecies. And they still sing them today because many of them have been blinded, and they're still singing songs for their coming Messiah. And one of their major prophets gives us more, of understand, more understanding of what John the Baptist is saying, and we would call this definitely, definitely, 100% a messianic prophecy. Can I read it to you? So John 1, 29 and 30 is backed up by the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. Here we go. Let's go to verse 1. Love the word of God, man. Love the word of God. My Lord, I love the word of God. God, I love it. Look what it says in verse 1. Who has believed our report? All I'm reading through today is, I'm not confusing you guys with translations. It's on um, New King James today. Who has believed our report? Old Testament prophet. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, talking about the Messiah, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Look up. You better be careful how you describe the Messiah. There is no beauty. You know, people are like, I've said this before. How can you say that about our God, that he's not beautiful? It depends how you define beauty. There is no form of comeliness there. When you see him, there's no beauty that you should desire him. Look at verse 3. Here comes the description of the Messiah. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men. They were waiting for a king to come and take over Rome and take on his throne. But he is despised and rejected by men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Lord, I received that. And we hid as it were our fathers from him. He was despised and yet did not. Man, stop saying he was despised and did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Man, if that doesn't do something inside of you. The New Living says it this way. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows. No, no, I'm just pointing at you, angel. Because I feel like you know what I'm talking about. Love you. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that he weighed them down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. And he was beaten so that we could be whole. Verse 6 says, and all we, like, okay, I love scripture for this reason. How many of you are like, wow? None of you? Wow. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Wow. Wow. I feel like even in this passage, there's groaning. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who has he laid the iniquity upon himself, even of those who have what? Who have gone astray to his own way. I do believe that when you get to glory, there's people that are in there that you thought would have never been in there. And I'll blame Isaiah for believing that. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was, a le- he was led as a what? As a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. So beautiful. Come on, I want you to look at the words that are used in this prophecy. That are describing the Messiah. What are some of the words we see? Despised, rejected, sorrows, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Look how it's describing him. Wounded, bruised, oppressed. Guys, this is scripture. Afflicted, a lamb to the slaughter, a sheep before its shearers. Isaiah's description in messianic context. But don't miss this part. He was a lamb led to the slaughter, the sheep before its shearers who is silent. And he opened not his mouth. When you read Isaiah 53, as a Jewish person in the days of John the Baptist, he is something to behold. He is something to behold. When you study day in and day out for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Isaiah 53... And your leader stands up and says, behold, the Lamb of God. Something happens. What did you just say, John? Because I've been studying that for hundreds of years. My family, family, family tree has been studying Isaiah 53. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. And every Jew present begins to shake and says, what did you just say? (laughs) This Lamb was something to behold. You know, you know the lamb doesn't end there, right? You know the lamb doesn't end there, right? 
the lamb continues to be spoken of. Revelation shows us the lamb as well. He's powerful. He's glorious. I love this. And he has a book. Did you know that the lamb has a book? It has a book. That's cool that the lamb has a book. I like that because he has a book. That's dope. Like, I like to read and he has a book. It's good. But, but he's powerful, he's glorious, and he has a book. Revelation 21, if you're taking notes, tells us of the glory of the new Jerusalem. John, not the Baptist, John the apostle, describes all the stones and all the pearls on the walls and all the gold, etc., on the foundation that we are to walk upon one day. But I can't read all that to you. It's marvelous. If you go to verse 21 up, it's marvelous. But I'm going to start in Revelation 21, verse 22. Can you go there with me? Just going into text. Revelation 21, 22. If you have time, read 21, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 20, because it describes this beautiful place. But I don't have time to describe the beautiful place. I just want to describe the beautiful land for a moment. Verse 22 says this. John the Apostle. The beloved whom Jesus loved. If you know that saying, then you know what I'm talking about. Verse 22 says, But I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it, into the light. They're bringing gifts of honor and glory into the light. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. But wait, there is no night. So that means that the gates are always, so you always have entrance into the light that shines on his throne. There is no light, so the gate is open and the light is shining constantly. Verse 26. And they shall bring, here are the gifts. What are the gifts that they're going to be bringing to the Lord? And they shall bring the glory and the honor of all the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's a book. And it's named after him. What book is that? It's the Lamb's book of life. (laughs) I love that. What book is that? It's the Lamb's book of life. It's my book. It's written and it's, everything is in me and by me. So you you read Revelation 21. We read just for time's sake verses 22 to 27. And it shows us his glory. It shows us his power. It shows us his beauty. But, But did you catch this? It also shows you his authority. Where does it show you his authority? That he has a book. And it's called the Lamb's Book. And every name is written in it. And through that authority, anything that defiles is not written in it and will not be able to enter. That's called authority. No one can enter, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Authority. In Revelation, everyone got that? Revelation 21, yeah? 
Okay, Revelation 17 as well, it tells us that they're also going to make war with the Lamb. Listen, they made war with the Lamb, got him on the cross, didn't beat him because he resurrected. There was a war that happened. The war was fought for our sins, though. But there's another war. Look at this. Revelation 17 tells us that there's another war in, the, in these times ahead. And they're going to make war with the Lamb, specifically the Lamb. But the good news, I wrote this in my notes, is that the Lamb does not lose, not ever. Amen. Does he lose? Not ever will he lose. Amen. The Lamb will always win. Amen. Revelation 17, 14 says it this way. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Now this is important. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And then we wonder why we quote the scripture of we overcome through the word of our testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. Why do we overcome? Because the Lamb has never lost. And if we're covered with the blood of the Lamb, there is surety of victory in those who are faithful and those who are chosen, as are said in Revelation 17 and verse 14. Come on, the faithful and chosen, where are you? Revelation 22 shows us something beautiful. That he will sit on his throne, and he will sit on his throne next to the right hand of the Father. Guys, why am I painting this picture? Because I still want you to get this man on a donkey riding into Jerusalem, and people are singing Hosanna and dropping palm trees, and we're fast-forwarded, and now he's sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father. And as he sits at the right hand of the Father, the Father and the Son will be served forever. In this eternal reign, listen, all curses will be broken. Amen? And we shall see his face always whenever we want. His name will be on our minds, on our foreheads. There will be no need of the sun or the moon or any stars because the Lamb and the Father will give light forever to all who reign with them. Let's read the passage for itself. Revelation 22, 1 through 5 says it this way. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The throne of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. And there, I'm telling you that eternity, it continues. Life continues. There's nations in eternity. There's nations being healed in eternity. This whole thing about like you just floating it's not, it's not like that. It's a kingdom. There's a, there's a continual kingdom that, that happens. All right, just want to make sure you know that. Verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Man, I feel like this stuff is just heavy to read. What are we talking about here? We're talking about Christ Jesus, okay? What the Bible would call in John 3.16, listen to this for further discussion. What the Bible would call in John 3.16, the one unique son of the father. You translate it, right, as God's only begotten son, the one unique son of the father. 
the anointed one. We're talking about Yeshua, the Lamb of God. So, we have all these different pieces today, from Revelation to Isaiah to John to Matthew. You with me? And we have so much more that I left out that we can go into for weeks. We could continue to mention stuff. That together, when you put these pieces, they give us a beautiful truth. They give us this beautiful truth. Listen to what I wrote here. This pure gospel and yet a painful gospel. The pure, beautiful gospel came with pain, came with sacrifice, came with blood. Let's go back to where we started because I'm going to get close to ending now. John chapter 12 is where we started. Matthew 21 is where we started. So what I did was I grabbed John 12, Matthew 21, and I put them in a blender. I hit mix, and I poured it into my cup. And I blended both witness accounts. And I'm going to read them to you blended. Here it is. So I'm reading from John 12 and Matthew 21, same way we started. Ready? I'm going to read it one more time. Now when they drew near Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you. Immediately you will find the donkey tied to a coat with her. Loose them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he'll send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coat, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the coat. They laid their clothes on them and they sit, they sat him on, on, they, and set him on them. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees. They spread them on the road and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, the king of Israel. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. And when they came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved and they were saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And the Pharisees said among themselves, you see, you're accomplishing nothing. Even the world has gone after him. See, I'm not sure if you're getting the picture of what I'm trying to paint here. On what today we recognize and we observe as Palm Sunday. And maybe this is how I should end. Jesus the Lamb of God, is entering Jerusalem as a king to be in a few days slaughtered like a lamb. Please listen to this because it's Palm Sunday today. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is entering on a donkey because you knew that when kings ride on donkeys, they means peace. When kings ride into a city on horse, it means war. So the king comes in a donkey to bring peace, to not scare people that it was to bring war. 
And as he's entering into Jerusalem as a king, in a few days, he'll be slaughtered like a lamb. He's entering Jerusalem to what many would have thought in his day to recapture a nation and to sit on the throne. That's what many thought on his day. But instead, it was to recapture the heart of humanity. In order to sit in that throne. We thought you, you thought he wanted an earthly throne. When at the end, his target, his aim was to reign in the throne of your heart. Are you going to sit on the throne? I am. In the throne of your heart. Oh, not like Israel's throne? No, your throne. I'm going to dethrone you. So I could be throned in you. Most people's problems is that they need to be dethroned because they feel they have a, some sort of, whatever, just get the revelation, some sort of right, some sort of stick, I don't know. And he just needs to be throned, enthroned in us. Instead of recapturing a nation to sit on its throne, <clears throat> to recapture the heart of humanity, to sit on our throne, in the heart of our, the throne of our heart. And it would be accomplished. Everyone say it will be. You know how? By serving us. You've got to serve God and you've got to love God. None of us serves God first. None of us loves God first. He served us first on the cross. That's next Sunday, resurrection. We'll get there. We'll put Friday and Sunday together on Sunday. He serves us first on the cross. And when he serves us first on the cross, he's fulfilling the Father's will. How do I know that? Because just hours before, he's in a garden and he says, Lord, if it's possible, pass this cup from me. But nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. What is he saying? Daddy, it's up to you. What was he doing? Moaning. Groaning. They're going to cut me. They're going to break me. I'm going to shed blood. But hopefully at the end, they eat my head, my legs, my entrails. They eat all of me. John 6, 6, 6. If you really want to be my follower, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. It cut them to the heart and they walked away from him to never serve him again. You know what happened? They wanted to receive Jesus as some sort of hero, but they weren't going to receive him as the Passover lamb that fully needed to be digested. So they walked away from him. He served us on the cross. He fulfilled the Father's will. What is he serving? He's serving what Isaiah 53 says, our despisement, our rejection, our sorrows, our grief. That whole stuff in Isaiah 53, it dealt with our sin, our sin, our sin. In this room, man, our sin. Your sin, my sin, we sin. But there's a lamb who covered that sin. It was our despisement, our rejection, our sorrows, not his. Our griefs, our wounds, our bruises, our oppression, our affliction, our sin. What? Put upon the lamb. It was all put on him. He carried it. He took it. It was ours. 
And he took it for us, as Isaiah says. Why would the Lamb of God take such sorrow and grief and despisement and all these horrors of things that we just read? Why would the Lamb of God do that so that finally we could receive peace, healing, and salvation? Salvation is through the Lamb of God. It's through the Lamb. It's through what He endured because of our sin. It wasn't His sin. It was because of our sin. The Lamb, the sin was a... We have, we have to go deeper. I don't have time when they used to have to bring the lamb and the high priest had to lay hands on it. And, and that was the day where all the sins of the people, man, would be transferred into the lamb. And then the lamb then was slaughtered and given unto the Lord on this day of atonement. And, and we could talk about that. That's what Jesus was. It was the sin of the world falling upon the lamb of God so that finally the sins could now receive the righteousness of God. Passover, man. Passover is the lamb that had to go through the process. How many of you just read him coming in as a donkey in the palm trees? Like, that's so cute. Kids always sing songs to that. It is, but it's deeper than that, man. The lamb was going through a process as he was walking into Jerusalem. <clears throat> and though we see him where he is now, as we read in Revelation, and we see where he will be forever. As we read in Revelation, he had to go through the process because he's our Passover lamb. How many of you could say amen? So yes, it, it carries a groan, but it offers freedom. It offers salvation. But there was a groan. There's no way that if you were to rewind 2,000 plus years and you're seeing Jesus being beaten and bruised and Naked, is back open wide, crucified, you can't even recognize his face. There's no way like, you'll be brought to tears. I'll never forget the moment that you encountered on the Via Della Rosa in one of the stations. Where in a room, all we heard was a groan and a moan that was revealed to Betsy. And I looked to see who it was in Jerusalem and it was Betsy on the floor I believe just weeping and there was a picture on the wall or a statue and the reality is he's alive he reigns he's living inside of you but it's the beauty of that that could cause an individual to moan and groan because it's recognizing do you know that he didn't even have to do that he didn't have to go through that I'll never forget that moan and groan that Betsy gave. Hopefully this word will relate to that. So yes, it carries a groan, but it offers freedom and salvation. Amen? We can't just say, hey, everyone can be saved through Jesus Christ, but not mention the cross. The cross is the moaning and groaning part that brings forth great life, great victory. Yes, it was to be taken through the process of the fire, Remember Exodus 12? Yes, it was to be taken through the process of the fire so that we can take it all in. All of him. What do I mean? All of Jesus is to be taken in. These people that just want to believe some things and not the other things and these people want to discredit one thing and not the No, no. All of Jesus is taken in. His head, his legs, his entrails that none of Jesus would be left out from receiving. Amen? 
to eat the accompanying bread. If you remember, not only do you eat the lamb and all of it, but you also eat a bread, and the bread cannot have any kind of yeast. It can have any kind of leaven. What does that mean? It means it needed to be pure. The leaven represents evil, impurity. It means sin. So when he tells them, eat bread without leaven, it's purity. It's without sin. It's without evil. And you eat it with bitter herbs. Why would you eat it with bitter herbs? Because the bitter herbs would represent the process. It would be a bitter one, but it would be well worth it. And don't worry about it. That bitterness is going to remind you of what the Messiah will do for us. And yes, we are to take his shed blood that covers us. It protects us. It makes us whole. It's the process of the Lamb of God. We can hear the sounds of groaning. We can see the pain that was caused. But it was part of the process that births a new and greater life for each of us. Palm Sunday, this Passover, it's a celebration of spring. It's a celebration of birth and rebirth. Passover, it's a celebration from slavery into freedom. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. How many of you can say amen? Can you stand with me? The Lamb of God. you recognize and see John 12 and Matthew 21 different I hope you see the Lamb of God for what it's worth for who he really is for what this really means I hope you see that through this process that he endures and goes through was to give you a better life it was to give you freedom was to snatch you from the grips of hell of sin that allows you to enter into his goodness into his righteousness I hope you see it I hope you find life as he says life abundantly and in, deep inside you I pray that the wells there be wells of water waters that are gushing and bubbling inside of you because of the Lamb of God amen Lord, we thank you for tonight, today, this morning, afternoon, whatever. We love you. We celebrate you through this Passover, through this season of Lent and Easter and everything else. We, we know the cause. We know the reason. We teach it in its purity and its truth, and we stand as your sons and daughters. We love you, and we thank you for that, for who you are, for what you've done, what you do. Thank you for today, through the time of worship, what you did. I pray that that would become something prophetic that individuals in here walk into. That their, their winters would become spring. That lives through the Passover lamb would be transformed today. Lord, we just truly just honor you 
praise your holy name in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And together we say,